hello, and welcome to the Double Take Podcast with your hosts, Kirk and Kevin Weber. This is the show for fans of sports, music, and popular culture. In this episode of Double Take, we discuss the best Apple baseball season sets, takes on Disney Plus's high school musical series and encore, Star Wars comics, the franchise Mount Rushmore of the Expos and Nationals, and the Beatles' Please Please Me album. Join us now on Double Take. Hello and welcome to uh, the 12th episode of Double Take. This is Kirk Weber with my brother Kevin, and uh, we're here to talk um, about you know our usual topics, and the big thing that we'd like to talk about today is a little app of baseball, and our topic is the best season sets you could you could acquire. Um, Kevin came up with that idea. I guess we're kind of doing a little bit of a kind of like an on the spot here to kick off the show because um, I don't know what he's going to say, and um, I have a couple ideas, and I'm and we'd like to hear from listeners after this too. So please feel free to let us know and why. We'll give you our takes, and we'd love to hear your takes too. So um, yes. since it was your idea, Kevin, why don't you kind of start off with how you want to go and. And, and we'll kind of bounce it back and forth. Well, I think there's two ways to look at this. You can look at it in the general baseball sense, you know, some of the great seasons, and you can look at it in the personal baseball sense. So like, for example, you and I love the Tigers. We grew up with the 84 Tigers. Obviously, the 1984 set is a great set to get. Now, it, it, it all depends on what you want to do with it as well. Do you want to replay the entire season? That's a big project. There's lots of guys out there that do that. Personally, I like to have a little bit smaller projects. I do team replay. So I have replay the entire 1984 Detroit Tigers season, and that gets me working with everybody in the National or the American League, not the National League. And I, I like that. Currently, I'm almost done with the 1968 season, so I do the Tigers. And I've kind of picked up things along the way as far as Tiger-related things. But, like, if you're looking at, like, a, a great season, if you want to replay it or pick one team, 1961 would be great. You got the Marish and Mantle chasing Babe Ruth and everything, and that'd be fun to see if that happens. You know, that's a great year to, to do. I think a lot of guys pick years from their childhood or or um, early early teen days and stuff that they remember and they like to replay those. So those are kind of the some of the initial things I'm thinking. What were you thinking, Kurt? Well, I, I think back to some of the seasons that you and I, when we were kids, basically, uh, acquired some different seasons. We went, I remember we went for the 1930 season, but the way we did things with our, our friend Derek was we would take a season and then draft from the season. Mm-hmm. So we were like, we want a season where everybody rips. So the 1930 season, if you look at 20th century, it's the highest um, overall batting average in in history, right? I mean, the batting average um, was 296 for both leagues. You know, of course, there were 16 teams then too. And that's another factor. You know, do you want buy 16 teams? You know, and if you buy, like we had the 66 set, that was 20 teams. If you're buying something, you know, in the 80s or, you know, something later, it's going to be like 26 teams, right? So, mm-hmm. um, th- you know, you'll get more. And that's why the prices, I think, sometimes can vary a little too. Yes, but like for sure. But like the 1930 season, I mean, that they averaged that season 5.5 runs a game, okay? 
Um, and it's it got an interesting balance. So like if you want to use this as something where you like home runs or you like high batting averages or whatever, I mean, the league ERA is 4.81, so that's not going to really get it done. Um, they did steal a, a, they had an interesting balance between stolen bases and home runs that season, you know, about 1500 home, uh, home runs and a little over a thousand stolen bases. But like, I don't know, I'm trying to think back why we went with 66 other than I know that we had some cool years, you know, whether, I think it was on sale. <laughs> oh, it was on sale. Yeah. I, yeah that's what but, I'm thinking. You know, because yeah. in, in, in 19, well, not on sale, but like a special thing and they had it out and it just to come out. Cause now, you know, app has done a great job and John Hurston's done a great job of, he's got every year and some of the years into the 1800s as well. But it used to be, um, before they moved down to, um, Georgia that they only had so many years available. So, um, and then, you know, you could get it the year it came out, you know, uh, Apple started in the early fifties. You could get it the year it came out and then it was gone unless you bought it used from somebody. So, um, 66 happened to come out and it was a good year. I mean, if 68 would have come out, we probably would have got that. But it probably, wasn't available. yeah, mm-hmm. which would have been all right. But I, 66 was very fun, and there was a oh, lot it was, of yeah. a lot of Hall of Famers there. And I think if you're picking something, especially if you, I think a fun thing to do is to take a season and then have some friends and draft from it. Everybody studies the cards and draft from it. That's what we did when we were younger. I know people like to do the replays. If you're doing replays, then it's like, do you want pitching? Do you want stolen bases? Do you want home runs? Do you want a lot of strikeouts? Mm-hmm. You do a replay nowadays, right? Um, if you don't want a lot of strikeouts and you want some balance, some hitting, a season that I looked at that I think is very intriguing is 1950. Um, mm-hmm. that's, it's a 16 team league then, but the league on base percentage was 346. You know, that 1930 team, the league on base percentage was 356. So like people got on, they didn't hit quite as high. It was only a 266, um, you know, you know, batting average for the league. But they hit more home runs. They hit over 2,000 home runs. They stole no bases. If you don't like stolen bases, go with 1950. But you get the last good card for Joe DiMaggio. You get George Kell having a good year. Uh, you have some cool teams with Boston and Detroit and the Yankees and Brooklyn. And there's a lot of Hall of Famers there. And that that could be – that would be a really fun uh, – there's some good – like, you know, like um, – Jackie Robinson had a really good year at second base. I mean, there's some good stuff that's going on there. I mean, solid mm-hmm. year by Williams. Nothing spectacular, but still pretty good. He's, you know, in his early 30s by that point. Um, yeah. League ERA is horrible, but, you know, whatever. Uh, another um, season that we looked at, didn't we do the 1922 season? Yes, we did. Yep. And that one there I think we picked because it was a, 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 t- a, like a league batting average of 288. Um, they, they didn't hit a lot of home runs. It was pretty decent for 1922. It was a little over a thousand, but they still like 1400 bases that year. So you had a lot of, um, kind of guys stealing and moving around and stuff. Yes. It was kind of a, a cross between, you know, you know, dead ball and live ball era. You know, you had a little bit of both of that going on in 22. You know, yeah. they're hitting home runs, but they're still playing dead ball kind of ball as well. Right. You know, and, the, and you're going to get guys like Rogers Hornsby and Tris Speaker and, not Trish Speaker, what am I saying there? Uh, George Sisler and, and Cobb still playing and, and people mm-hmm. like that. Um, so, because I think they had like three guys hit over 400 that year or something mm-hmm. crazy like that. Yep. I think it was Sisler, Hornsby, and Cobb. Speaker was playing too, I think. There was a lot of crazy batting average, really good years. Like Harry Heilman, it was really good. All these Hall of Famers. So that that can be fun too. Um, you and I, I know we first started getting teams or season sets in um probably the 84 season it just happened to be that yeah. season mid and then 80s we, yep yep and then well, we, we got the season set in 84 yeah and then 85 yeah and, and 86 at, i think 
Yeah, and 87. And because, 87, yep. Because as I look back at 87, um, that is a great, fun season. Um, not yep. just, I mean, now the Tigers had a great year, and Alan Trammell had what should have been his MVP year, even though George uh, Bell won it. I mean, Trammell hit for 343 and had his, you know, career season. Um, but you had a fun Detroit and Toronto teams. Minnesota, of course, got to the World Series. But St. Louis was pretty fun, too. I mean, you know, you got Vince mm-hmm. Coleman stealing 109 bases. Tony Gwynn hit 370 and stole, like, 56 bases. Actually, I was looking, and when you go, like, kind of um, average stolen bases per game, it was up by a whole tenth of a percent, which doesn't sound like a lot. But, like, normally it's about 07 stolen bases a game through the you know 80s and 90s that year was like 0.8 something um like it just there was a lot more teams stealing bases and the cardinals were kind of leading the way san diego stole a lot of bases you know with Gwynn and stuff so that was a pretty fun year it's a fun year for sure a lot of home runs that year um uh, you know in in comparison to what was going on at the time not nowadays do you have that what seasons do you have kirk do you have any um i do i think i have the 2006 season um and you, yeah. that was it i think you know we we got a new you have set the 83 or something I thought you oh had yes yes i have the 83 season too i forgot about that 83 yeah, yeah i i mean i kind of I, I know there are certain guys like uh i've listened to some of the this week in apple podcast who have like every one and stuff like that i don't even know yeah. if i would want everyone I, mean, I have quite a few teams and um several seasons i have you know I, I do pretty well but everyone i'd like to get all the World Series teams right. uh, at some point. That'd be fun to do. Uh, but having every season, every single team, I don't really need that. I mean, I have 2018 because I have my league. I have 2012. The Tigers were good. I have the 87 season. I have the 84 season, the 68 season, the 35 season because of the Tigers. And I have the 1908 season, which if you're looking for a dead ball season, that is the one to get because it, you had some of the greatest pennant races Ever in both leagues. Because remember, like the Cubs won 99 games and they finished a game ahead of the Giants and the Pirates who won 98. All right. And then that was the Merkel Boner year and everything. Right. Uh-huh. And then over on the other side, you know, you have the, the Tigers, of course, made it to the World Series and ended up losing. But they went down to the wire too. Cleveland finished a half game out and the White Sox finished a game and a half out. So you had like two, three team races in each league that went down to like the last day of the season. So if I ever replay um, a season you know, and I have that, I'm going to replay. If I do every game, that's what I'm going to do. Plus it's 154 games and it's less teams. So it would take less yeah. time. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. The whole replay with every, everyone, I, I, I applaud people who do that. I don't ever see myself doing that, but, yeah, um, yeah. but Hey, you know, if that's how, you know, you enjoy it, that's cool. I, uh, I do like looking at the different seasons and, you know, how they play out. If I was going to play a whole season, I'd want to kind of see what type of, you know, because the, the accuracy of the cards leads to the type of gameplay you're going to get. So mm-hmm. if you want stolen bases, pick a season where they stole a lot of bases, right? You know, um, because it's going to play out that way. So um, that's why I... I, you know, and the other reason is you want to play with certain players and see them, you know? So like, like I was mentioning the 1950 season, if you want to, you know, play some with Ralph Kiner or uh, later Joe DiMaggio or Roy Campanella or somebody like that, those guys are in there 
you know, or or yeah. like Stan Musial, you know, he's playing, you know. So well, it's it's fun to play with the, some, you know, like nineteen oh eight for example. Of course, I know a good number of players, but there's a lot of guys I don't know. You learn about those players and the way they play because you know it's different. Like I was playing eighty four sixty eight teams, and then I play a few games with oh eight, and I feel like I'm playing dead ball baseball. It's really weird how Appa does that. Um, if you you know play it straight up, and I just get the try to get the original lineup that was used for a particular game and the regular starting pitchers and everything like that. And I just play it the way I would manage it and see what happens. I don't do hit and runs and all that kind of stuff because that kind of messes your stats up if you keep doing that. I mean, if the guy's going to steal bases, he's got 11s and 10s and stuff on his card. You know? Right. So there you go. But, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely, uh, you know, a couple other things that people might like to do that would be good, and I know people have done it on several occasions, is the, the strike seasons. So 81 and 94, uh, playing those through and seeing what happens with those seasons. And that can be a lot of fun as well. So Right. The other thing to do is the close pennant race seasons and then uh, maybe do something where you create your own divisions and have more mm-hmm. playoffs, uh, that sort of thing. You know, you can mm-hmm. do things like that, too. Um, so there's lots or of ways doing, you can... Or doing current playoff format for a season that didn't have playoffs. And, right. Know, like yeah. for 1908, for example. And if you had those three teams in there, you know, in the playoffs and see how that all works out, I mean, that'd be crazy. Just do that, you know? Right. I think that would be so. really cool. And that wouldn't be as um, time-consuming, though some people want it to be. It's like they're hobby. Oh, yeah. That's what they do. Yep. Um, so that's fine, too. So, yeah, it's kind of cool. We'd love to hear what other people have to say or, or seasons that they've had that they've done things with that they uh, found enjoyable for various reasons. Um, there's lots of ways to go. And the great thing, at least with the uh, baseball part of APA, is uh, you get all you know so many options now. Um, you know, mm-hmm. not all the other sports that they do have every, you know, basically every season and so things like that. Yeah. They're still working their way to them. Uh, but baseball has been so popular, you know, that's why it kind of gets. Some well, of it started with baseball and of course they've moved into many other sports and some are still there and some aren't. But baseball is the reason Apple is round. Um, and I know sometimes the guys that love the football game or, or the golf game or whatever um, feel a little slighted because most 90% of the talk about APA is baseball, but you know, that's just, I remember we got a, uh, uh, football, APA football. Yeah. That was all right. uh, Yeah. It was okay, but it, it wasn't as exciting as they've kind of redone it now, Kirk. I don't know if you know, but yeah, I know. So it's a little bit um, better. And of course, remember we had the basketball game too, which is, um, the, the quagmire game, I guess. I mean, we tried to play that and didn't really figure it out because it, it was like one of those games that, you know, basketball should be pretty quick, right? And right. It was just too complicated, but we had, I don't know what the heck we did with that, but uh, yeah, we had that and tried that out at one point too. So, but yep. didn't really like it. A lot of guys like the hockey. Um, that's very yeah. popular right now I've, too. Yep. Yeah. So uh, good stuff. Hopefully we'll get a little bit of feedback. Uh, you can either uh, leave us a, 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 a less than one minute voice message on an anchor app you just need an account it's free though uh you could also reply if you feel like it to uh twitter or go on our facebook and those are uh, double take cast at double take cast um you can also email us at double take feedback at gmail.com um what we're going to do when we come back from our little break here is uh have a couple things disney plus related uh, which is, uh, you know, kind of a take from your daughter, uh, Viola, on uh, one of the shows on Disney+. Plus. And also the last installment of the 
comic book series for Star Wars, uh, the four book series that you had been uh, doing, just to kind of complete that process. So those would be our two things coming back. Um, anything else that you want to say before we go to break, Joe? Nope, I think that's it. Uh, All right. So. so we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Viola Weber, and I'm going to be reviewing the new Disney Plus show, Encore. So in the show, the host is Kristen Bell, and so the basic overview of it is they take people who did a musical in high school, and then they take them back to do an encore of the same musical after they aged a good amount of time. And the first episode is Annie, and they come back together, and they do the whole reunion thing, and it's cute, kind of cheesy, but cute. And so then they get really into it. And they find that a lot of the people, I mean, it's been 20 years, so a lot of the people can't sing anymore if they could sing in high school. So that's a big struggle they have. And it ends up being okay, but it's kind of hurtful to listen to most of the time. But it's overall a good show, and it has a nice message, and it's kind of interesting to watch, but... Yeah, if you're looking for singing quality, you might want to go try a different show, but it's a fun show to watch. If you're looking for singing quality, you might want to try the other Disney Plus show called High School Musical the Musical, the series, which is kind of a stupid name, but that's okay. Um, It's about these high school kids, and they go to East High, which is where they filmed High School Musical, and it's about them putting on a production of High School Musical, the musical. And it the first two episodes are the auditions and then the start of rehearsals. And there's a lot of drama about dating and things like that, which is cute if you're really romantic or like just like watching that stuff. Um, but the singing quality is a lot better. It's kind of more unrealistic. Encore is very realistic in High School Musical, the musical, the series is not as realistic because they're all high school kids, and the only high school I've ever actually heard that could be possibly like that is the Forest Hills schools when they're all put together. But other than that, it's very unrealistic, but it's a very cute show to watch. Those are my reviews of the two new Disney Plus shows we just watched. Um, Disney Plus is great if you love Disney movies, Disney princesses, and all things Disney. It's now time for our final installment of the Journey to Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker Allegiance comics. These are the four comics that are a tie-in leading directly to the release of the final movie in the trilogy. And this final installment is titled A Rising Tide uh, for episode or part four, I guess. And the trailer reads... In desperate need of aid to fight the evil First Order, Resistance General Leia Organa traveled to Mon Cala to recruit her old rebellion allies into the fight. But some of Nasseri and Chad Colgi's isolationist Quarren attacked Leia's group, and Rey, Rose, and Chewie were arrested. 
the only way to regain their freedom, trial by combat. Meanwhile, on the moon of Avadoff, resistance fighters Finn and Poe Dameron were after weapons to arm the dwindling resistance, but were ambushed by a trio of merciless bounty hunters, intent on taking Finn to the First Order. Locked in battle with Chen Call's security droid, Ray gained the upper hand, that is, until the droid turned on the trial's spectators. Rose stepped in to help Ray, in turn breaking a sacred rule and exiling them all from the watery world. But before they could leave, a corn dropped off a mysterious container, which exploded. Well, as you might expect, our heroes um, are not killed because they have a movie to do. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, we get some interesting force usage from Ray to uh, save the day and uh, very well drawn and um, looks pretty cool. It certainly would make an a interesting scene in any of the movies. From there, a um, chase ensues between Ray and um, Rose to try to find this saboteur or assassin. And uh, they chase this person uh, through the different uh, parts of the town and finally are, are successful in apprehending them. Meanwhile, uh, Finn and Poe are trying to acquire weapons for their resistance and encounter a bunch of bounty hunters. Um, Finn tried to uh, divert them and, and steal a ship and uh, ended up getting attacked and knocked unconscious and Poe eventually gets a hold of them. And they go through a bunch of ba <clears throat> battles with these um, bounty hunters and of course uh, eventually are successful in um, maintaining their lives and getting the weapons and uh, getting off this planet. Meanwhile, the uh, saboteur is captured and uh, put on trial, and uh, things kind of go the way that Princess Leia wants to happen. And then they switch back to Poe and Finn doing some crazy maneuvers and some crazy flying from uh, Poe to save the day and save his friend as well. Uh, this brings the Malkamari into the, um, the fight with all their ships and everything, which is something that is needed for the Resistance, and I'm sure we will see them in the movie and the, the reason for that is because of this comic anyway these comics were fun to read there's only four of them you can get them in the paper versions or you can get them uh, digitally and a uh, good thing to get yourself prepared for the upcoming movie the rise of skywalker so that's my review Welcome back. Uh, it's been brought to our attention that uh, sometimes we talk about the Detroit Tigers a lot. So we're going to try to focus and have a new segment on um, some other Major League teams and other sports as well. But uh, right now we're talking about Major League teams. So our new segment is the Mount Rushmore of uh, different Major League teams. And we're going to start with the defending World Series champions or soon to be defending Washington Nationals slash Montreal Expos because, you know, they're part of that franchise as well since 1969. So we're going to come up with our four uh, Mount Rushmore players and uh, have a little discussion about that. Uh, have you done a little research on this, Kirk? I I have, and I, I feel like it's heavily slanted towards the Expos since they kind of were a longer part of this franchise. 
Um, yes. I mean, I, I know that there's going to be probably some people that will want to put some current Nationals people in there because of them finally winning a World Series. But I don't know if that's going to work. Like, for example, Max Scherzer might be a guy you talk about because, you know, he kind of got him over the top. But Scherzer's really only been playing since 2015 for them. Mm-hmm. And he's had good years and he's been a great player um, and a bulldog. And I love watching him play. But I don't know, and I'm not sure what you're going to say, but I don't know if I would put him in the top four in the franchise. Um, yeah. The people that I think are, I would consider ahead of him or, you know, like, I mean, what I, you know, consider some, they have some great outfielders with Tim Raines and Vladimir Guerrero and Andre Dawson. And these are people that played for at least like around 10 to 11, 12 years in the franchise. So I, I look at them closer and same thing with Gary Carter. I know he won a world series with uh, the Mets, but Gary Carter played like 12 years for the Expos and was, you know, a great player. So who are you? Th- I mean, do you have a heavy? You- I haven't really narrowed it down. I thought maybe we could kind of work it out together and see if we could agree. Um, but do you I did have it down? But I don't have to tell you what I have. Okay. I mean, I have here's here. Um, obviously, you know, Andre Dawson, Tim Raines, Vladimir Guerrero, and Gary Carter are seriously in the hunt here. And mm-hmm. as you mentioned, Max has played for three franchises now. By the way, mm-hmm. um, Steven Strasburg is in the talk here. Um, Bryce Harper. Um, you know, he, he is, even though, you know, he's gone, but he's still in, in the talk. Um, Ryan Zimmerman. Um, I would mm-hmm. say even Jose Vidro is multi-time all-star. Uh, Rusty Staub from the Expo days. He kind of yep. early Mr. Expo. Um, Tim Wallach, who was kind of the Expo's version of Zimmerman. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Steve Rogers, maybe at this point still their greatest pitcher in franchise history, Steve Rogers. And uh, even Felipe Lou, who was over there, but also managed them to their 94, um, you know, great season in 1994. That right. Cut short by the strike. So those people, I think, are all in the hunt. Uh, did you have anybody else on your list? Um, no, I mean, well... I, I you didn't mention Pedro Martinez and I know Martinez. Oh made, yeah, that's true. I didn't. But I would say I mean I know Rogers pitched longer for them in their franchise, but Martinez is you know he's a Hall of Famer, and um, he won his first of his three Cy Young awards with them, right? So yeah, um, yeah. I I would think that Martinez would be in the mix too. And it matters yeah, what type of balance. Be. Like whenever you do a top whatever. Are you trying to have balance or are you just trying to go with the straight up top ones? You know, like, do you need a pitcher in there or not? I mean, I don't know. I don't think so. So, you know, I think and then, you take the four best players. <laughs> right. I would say that my number one pick would be um, Vladimir Guerrero. Um, and I know that Vlad played for a few other teams. You know, he played in uh, with the Angels and stuff. Right. But um he was such a beast there. He, I, he's in the hall. Um, he, I, I tend to think. I, I tend. I mean, when I think of just great beast like hitters, I, I, I feel like he'd have to be in there. Um, but I don't know. You know, the other person that I really, maybe it's just from growing up and thinking about, you know, the, um, the Expos is Tim Raines. Um, so, mm-hmm. so, but you know, and and I have a hard I time. Had, um... I had Vladimir number three. Okay. Um, I'm in my I'm I'm Mount Rushmore, but I have Tim Raines number one because I think when I think of 
in a reason, I'm not saying that Reigns was a better player than Guerrero, though that is arguable too. I mean, you know, they're both great players and Hall of Famers. Um, but I, I, I think of the Expos, I think of Tim Reigns. Yeah. More than anybody else. Um, maybe Gary Carter second, but um, that's who I think. So I think he's number one for me um, on that on that Mount Rushmore. Right. So, yeah. He, he was a different kind of player. He was like kind of the National League version of Ricky Henderson, I guess. You know, just stole a lot of bases. Yeah. He stole over 800 bases in his career. Um, I, I, I really, I, I would have Reigns in there for sure. So, I, so we would say Reigns. Mm-hmm. And I think Guerrero, we would put there. And yes. then you mentioned Gary yeah. Carter. I would say Gary mm-hmm. Carter, too. Uh, I, I do, too. I think so, too. Yeah, I mean, He played over 10 years. At, to me, it's like you, you need to play at least 10 years for a franchise. And, it, and you know, it's going to be um, – of course, it's a lot easier for the older players because they were stuck there because of collusion and everything um, than nowadays. So that's, that's like like a Mech Scherzer. I mean, he's going to play there, but he very easily could be somewhere else in a couple of years, you know? Right. Um so, I, with know, Carter, I though, I mean, he played 12 years there. He was an all-star many times. He hit, I mean, I know he hit over 300 home runs in his career, but I think he hit over 200 as an expo. Uh, mm-hmm. He 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 definitely, um, you know, he's in the hall. Did he go in with a expo hat, didn't he? Uh, I mean, I'm not, I think so. I mean, um, so it that also kind of sometimes factors in a little bit, too, I think. When he was hitting home runs and stuff in the All-Star game. I mean, that's the time I really first saw him because we didn't, you know, how many times do you see Expos games in the in the 70s or in early 80s? Almost never, you know? Right. So, I, I saw um, Gary Carter play more for the Mets than I ever did for the Expos. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. So you just didn't see a lot of Expo games at all. Um, so, so we yeah. would have Reigns, Guerrero, and Carter. Who are you thinking for and that last four. spot? I have Andre Dawson because he played over 10 years there. He was a five-tool guy when he was there, a center fielder. I mean, I know a lot of people might think of him with the Cubs and stuff when his knees were shot and he was playing right field and, and all that kind of stuff. But he was, um, like, one of the, the greatest talents for about 10 years about the AstroTurf in, in Montreal shot his knees. So, you know, 30-30 guy hitting, you know, 280 plus with a bunch of home runs and driving in runs. Yeah, I, I put him on there. I mean, and that's where his heyday is. That that's got him. That got him into the Hall of Fame. Those days in in Montreal. Right. I mean, he did have you know some some stellar years with the Cubs, but that was a different Andre Dawson. Uh, the yeah, Andre he's Dawson a player. The Andre Dawson in Montreal was a guy that averaged 2020 for home runs and stolen bases, and uh, you know he won the Rookie of the Year. In like '77, when he was there, uh, that that is, you know, that was the good fielding, great throwing arm, um, fast home run hitting Andre Dawson. That was the guy. Yes. So um, I I agree. So we so we're really looking at Reigns and Guerrero, Carter and Dawson. Um, that's a pretty yes, good Mount Rushmore right there. Uh, and really, yep. you're looking all at Hall of all Hall of Famers. Yes. So, um, and you know, when I think of, you know, franchises like that, we're talking about guys basically seven starting in the seventies and eighties, um, or is kind of their time period. Um, that is, you know, we are tiger fans. That's more hall of famers than, than we would talk about from those eras for the tigers. You know, I mean, they had some immense yeah. talent, um, that were on those teams that, Maybe I mean a lot of it has to do with where they're located and and things like that. But 
Uh, because, you know, we went to one game in Montreal when the Expos were still there, and that was an, that was a very sterile, uh, weird baseball yeah. experience to watch a game there. Yes, um, I went to another one years later, but and it was just a run-down area. It was just, you know, that stadium, they didn't get renovations to go through, you know, that the, the people wanted, and... You know, I can see why it moved. I mean, I know everybody like making a big deal about it, but you know, it was it was junky, man. Um, you know, I feel bad for the Expos fans that like their baseball, but you know, they needed to have something better going on there for sure. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, but let's real quick. What um, is there anybody that's uh, a current player that you think could knock one of these guys off? You know, maybe uh, you know whoever we have is number four. Probably Andre Dawson's number four. I would say, don't you think? Um, yeah. So anybody could knock Dawson off, off off this thing. Hmm. Well, I think if Harper would have stayed in with the franchise, you know, he would be an obvious one to mention. Yeah. But that I that's agree. not the case now. Um. Pot, I mean, you know, you don't really. I mean, Strasburg and people like that aren't that young. You know, so I don't really yeah. know if he's going to get, I mean, he'd have to be winning Cy Youngs and stuff to Yeah, and to he's in that. his 30s now. That's not yeah. going to happen. Um, so. I don't, Zimmerman? Zimmerman you know? is towards the end of his career. Um, I don't, yeah, he's I don't, not he's, going he's, to. is he a Hall of Famer? No. So, I mean, I would think you'd have to be having a Hall of Fame type of career to knock off one of the four. Soto? How about Soto? Ah, Soto would probably be the best bet right now. He's got I, a shot, yeah. Yeah, I would say that he would be the only one I could really... He's obviously got to put together about 10 more great years, and um, then he could do it. <laughs> right, so, he would have to yeah. do that, yeah. But, you know, he has the talent, so we'll see. Um, all right, so that this is a... We'll, we'll try to keep going with different Mount Rushmore's of franchises. If anyone mm-hmm. ever has a suggestion... You can always email like us who, at, who we should uh, who, yeah. who we should go with next. What what franchise? Yeah, right. Send us a quick message either double take feedback at gmail dot com or uh, communicate through us through our social media Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at double take cast or or leave us a, a quick uh, voicemail on the Anchor FM app and we'll uh, definitely listen to what you have to say and go in that direction. There's so many ways, and we could do baseball or uh, you know football, basketball, hockey, uh, whatever, um, you know, whatever sounds interesting. So we'll try to mix it up too, but we thought it'd be timely to start with this franchise simply because it just got the World Series and yep. uh, it's a little different. So, all right, uh, we'll be back in just a second with a little Beatle talk. All right, well, welcome back to Double Take, and in this segment, we're going to do some talking about the Beatles, and what we'd like to do is, in a chronological approach, talk about Beatle albums. So, when we, and we've mentioned this before, when we talk about Beatle albums, we're talking about the British releases, because as guys that basically really started getting into Beatles in the late 80s, early 90s, that's when the first issues of the CDs were coming out, and those were the British issues. Um, So that's kind of the direction and the way we think of them. Um, It's also how a lot of things have been released even nowadays. Um, I know there Mm -hmm. are people that are baby boom generation that probably 
uh, are used to the American version. And that's totally fine. And they've had some issues with that. But so we'll go like there was no American Please Please Me in 1963. But uh, there was a British one. And we're going to talk about that today. So there was um, a Canadian one, though. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Um, So this is I've heard I've heard John Lennon talk about that if you're going to get into the Beatles, obviously before he was killed, uh, you should go and look at it with the British releases because that's how they put everything together. He says that he suggested that that's what you should do, you know. So, you know, that's just what we did just naturally anyway. When they um, put together this, their material, it was from that perspective, whether it's the artwork, the song sequence, um, how they produced it, um, the, all those things were from that perspective. So that's why I agree, you know, that's the way to really kind of look at it. Um, even early on how they record, you know, like would issue their stuff in mono recording versions. And then there have that kind of faux stereo mixes that sometimes would appear in the United States. Those aren't really what was intended. What I'd like to do mm-hmm. is be able to listen to it. Like they might listen to the playback in the studio and that what they're we're going for. Of course, it's always mm-hmm. different nowadays with the technology and the re, um, kind of remastering of things. So with Please Please Me, this was released in uh, in the UK in March 1963. And they had successfully had two singles, uh, Please Please Me and Love Me Do had come out. Love Me Do was their first one, mildly successful. And Please Please Me eventually is their first number one hit. Um, it's Many of these first albums are 14 tracks. And there is a combination of Lennon-McCartney originals and cover versions of things that they would probably be doing in many of their live shows. So I believe there were eight uh, songs that were Lennon-McCartney songs on this one. Um, and what's unusual about this album and what's so marvelous, if you think about it, is it's recorded on a two-track machine in about 10 hours. Um, so they just kind of ripped yeah, this one thing day, out. One day. One day, knocked out uh, this this um, album. And you might think, well, okay, you know, about half of them are Lennon-McCartney songs. That was very unusual for back then because most of the time yeah. you, you weren't, especially if you're guys in your early 20s, writing your own material and recording it. But that's what started making them, you know, different. Um, you know, so they, they kind of made their listeners realize that they weren't the typical sort of band there was something different here even though when people listen to it uh out of the context or in the context of the 21st century they think it sounds maybe a little old it was very fresh for what was going on at that moment so it starts off with a great song i um, i saw her standing there and that's paul singing uh lead he's got a great bass um melody going on uh, the band is just kind of a hop in there. Um, it's, it, you know, he counts in and it's just kind of like introduces you to, you know, this is the Beatles. Um, if you start as somebody who is kind of the next generation of fan, that could be a great way to kind of get yourself into it. Yes. Um, that song eventually and, and, does very successfully in the U.S. too. Go ahead, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing about I saw her standing there, it's one of my all-time favorite Beatles songs. Um like I always have my students ask me, hey, your favorite Beatles songs? I usually come back to I Saw Her Standing There. And it's a young Paul McCartney singing singing wonderfully. And I've heard versions of him singing that song around that same time period. And nothing is captured as well as this version. It's like just like the perfect version of the song. 
And I don't think he ever did it as well as he did on this particular recording. You know what I'm saying? You know? Right. I mean, yeah. it just sounds so perfect all the time. It's just like drives. It's just it's just a, one of the greatest things I think I've ever heard is I saw standing there. And, and that, I think, early on gives you an indication of uh, they start building a relationship with their producer, George Martin, and they start getting quickly comfortable in the studios, even from their first album. And some there had to be a comfort level for Paul McCartney to be able to do that sort of performance. So uh, that's, I think, you know, just kind of shows you of the things to come as they kind of keep moving forward. So it goes through, you know, I mean, we're talking, you know, a lot of times you look at different sides and stuff. There's some, um, you know, songs, some original songs, and then there's some songs that uh, they also do uh, that you're going to have a George Harrison song. You're going to have a Ringo Starr song because that was the typical format. Mostly it's John and Paul. And then you're going to have um, kind of throw a bone to the other two guys. Well, with um, George, he does Chains, which was solid, but nothing that was uh, as good as he does later on in his career. And Do, do You Want a Secret, too. Yeah, and then on, 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 the, well. on the second yeah. side, he does Do You Want to Know a Secret, which was his strongest track of, of that album. Mm-hmm. And then um, Ringo does Boys, and uh, that's a cover version, mm-hmm. but great vocal. Uh, Ringo is always underestimated as uh, a vocalist. If you get the yeah. right song for him, he can re- he can really do yep. it. He can do rock and roll stuff, um, and that's fun. And what is great about Boys is if it's you never a great track, yeah. if you it, the album version is fun, but the live versions of Boys in their early days is even better. Mm-hmm. Um, he yes. just it, it normally is a showstopper. You know, he's back there pounding yes. on the on the drums and singing, and it's good. Uh, so he has that in there. Um, they also have P.S. I Love You and a couple other songs that are good. But the one that we can kind of get to is uh, where the Beatles would try to have a John Lennon rock and roll vocal um, at the end of the albums. In the first few albums that they release, that's what they do. And, of course, on this one, it's Twist and Shout, one of the greatest rock vocals of all time. Uh, and it shows, you know, the talent that Lennon had um, as he rips through the Isley Brothers cover. Um, and, you know, there's lots of different things you can read about that where John basically d- did two takes but broke down in the second take, according to what I believe Mark Lewison wrote. Um, the first take is really the one they went with. He saved it towards the end because he uh, was suffering through kind of a little cold and a sore throat. Uh, but it, the kind of raspy, shredded vocal style um, and the live version kind of takes, there's no overdubs that they're able to do or anything. Almost everything is live is phenomenal. Um, yes. And it's one where um, they kind of took over that song where a lot of people think that that is a Beatles song where it's not. Uh, and if you ever listen to the Isley Brothers song, it's fun, but it's nothing like this. Um, yes. And and of course, you know, later on it becomes more popular. Um, you know, in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, when he's like kind of lip syncing it in the parade and stuff like that. Um, so it, it's it's a classic song. So you already have on that album, I would consider two really classic, well-known Beatles songs. The first and the last one. I saw her standing there and then ending with uh, Twist and Shout. There's good stuff in between, and they do stuff where they try to show a little variety, like doing A Taste of Honey, uh, which is, uh, you know, like uh, they try to do things from musicals and things like that, Um, and they'll do some love songs and stuff. But for the most part, 
uh, the two main songs I saw are standing there and Twist and Shout are the most memorable from that from that time period. Would you agree? Yeah, well, if you're a British fan, then you certainly would like Please Please Me. I mean, it was their first number one, and, you know, a Roy Orbison-inspired song, and a great song the more I listened to it. When I first started listening to the Beatles when I was a teenager, I kind of like, oh, Please Please Me, you know, whatever. But, you know, it is a wonderfully great song, for sure. Um, no doubt about that. Um, and um, speaking of boys, coming back real quick to boys and stuff, like boys, and then on the next album, Ringo does I Want to Be Your Man. Just great live songs. If you like, you know, get a chance to listen to that, and and you can hear the boys' version, like a live version on the live at the Hollywood Bowl album. Um, another song, you know, basically, this whole album is is their set that they used to do. They're basically half hour or so set that they would do at a club or at some kind of venue or wherever they would be, and just rip this stuff off. So they were really quick with it. And I've heard, you know, the different people that used to go to the cavern and stuff. Like they're like, well, what song epitomizes this time period, these early Beatles before Beatlemania took off in, in America and everything, and they talk about Anna. Anna, go to him. Because it's like that. These are the songs, the pleading boy meets girl kind of songs and everything, and, and great Beatle harmonies throughout this whole album, but Anna in particular, um, and Chains does as well, you know. Um, those kind of songs that are the, the love songs, that are the teenage love songs that they had on these early albums. Right, yeah. and which are like the third and fourth tracks on the first side, or you know, the beginning of the album. So, those, um, you know, you get um, a variety that's there. The thing that comes across the impression you you get from many of these early Beatles albums, but this one here is a great example, is just the energy, the youthful energy mm-hmm. that was so exciting that what is kind of helps explain Beatlemania, and I think that a good way to get a feel for that is it's always about the music and listening to that album through gives you kind of that variety that's there um the confidence the the there's good musicianship obviously they're gonna develop and grow as musicians but there's already something there there's a spark that's there so um yes. i always enjoy please please me i mean i and it's a quick album too you know a lot of these early ones you can listen to it and it's a little over a half hour and you're, you know, you can move on. So, um, you know, if you have a commute that's about that long, you could listen to the whole album and, you know, kind of get a feel for it and uh, write in that sequence if you need to. Yeah. I mean, you know, and the drive of the Beatles and how busy they were at this time with touring, starting to record. I mean, John Lennon was like sick as a dog on this day, you know, had a fever going. I guess he did twist and shot like shirtless, okay, because he was sweating so much and everything. On another day, they're going to cancel and come back, you know, in a year or so, you know. Oh, yeah, John's not feeling so good. We'll do this another time. Or we'll come back in and do some overdubs. Or we'll cut a couple other songs. And it captures the Beatles in the early days as Beatlemania hit in Great Britain. And right before it hit in America, you know, it's just like a a perfect picture. You know, that's basically what it is, you know? Yes. So um, it's a fun one to talk about. I I, uh, think that what we plan on doing is just working our way through on different episodes talking about... Uh, di- different Beatle albums and breaking them down. Some will take longer than others, but um, a great place to start is Please Please Me, which isn't their first time in the studio. They had the DECA sessions and other um, uh, opportunities to try to record, but this is the one that kind of launches their EMI slash Capitol Records uh, career. 
Uh, so uh, any comments anybody has, feel free to let us know, and we'll be glad to hear from you. Sometimes we also will talk within the album about the singles that are happening at that time, too. Uh, that's always yes. a good thing to do. Yes. So next, of course, we'll be going chronologically, and they released two albums in 1963, which is crazy if you start thinking about it. So that would be with the Beatles. So if you have any favorite songs or comments that you want to uh, give us, um, you know, you can contact us. We talk about it all the time, but definitely voicemails are a great way we can add that in um, to the next show for sure. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Double Take Cast or Double Take Feedback at gmail.com are also good ways to communicate with us. Uh, so thank you, and we'll uh, come back um, and finish up the show in just a sec here. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Double Take and also take a moment to give some congratulations to Kevin. As some of you know, he's uh, an umpire and he started in the high school ranks, did some travel ball stuff, and then started doing a number of college level uh, games. He's been in Michigan here, an umpire for the state championship two different times. Uh, he's done Division II and NIIA and Division Three. But he just found out this week that he is going to be doing a Division I non-conference game in the spring here in Michigan. And he's really excited. He's worked really hard for that. He's um, also, with the inspiration of this podcast, started another podcast called The Hammer, which is an umpire podcast. It's uh, starting off very well, and he has a lot of contacts, and he's doing interviews and so forth. So I encourage you to check that out. But, you know, just a shout-out to Kevin. Congratulations on getting his first Division I baseball umpiring assignment. And uh, thank you to all of you for listening to this episode, and we hope you join us for our next. Double Take is recorded using Audacity and CleanFeed. We use Fifine USB microphones and distribute through Anchor.fm. Theme music, Funk in the Trunk, is by Shane Ivers at SilvermanSound.com. Please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at DoubleTakeCast, or email us at DoubleTakeFeedback at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>